So 1 Corinthians 13, uh, today we're going to hone in on verses 6 through 8a as we're going in depth in what love really is. Now we looked at the chapter as a whole and we broke it up into three sections. Number one in verses 1 through 3 is the preeminence of love. In verses uh, 4 through 8a is the particulars of love. And then in verses 8b through 13 we have the permanence of love. Another way to say it is fundamentals and features and then the forever love. And, and when you look at this, we see in verse 1, Paul said this, although I, I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love. I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Here, here we see the preeminence of love. And it doesn't matter, man, how eloquent the message, how marvelous the ministry or miracle, or you might be a martyr. It doesn't matter if it's not motivated by love. What he says right here is it's nothing. I'm nothing. It profits me nothing if I'm not living my life motivated and moved by love. And that's how important it is. You know, you got to check your hearts. We all are challenged to do this, you know. Do you have that love for people? Are you? Would you be described by God as a loving person? Because this is like the sign of signs. This is the fruit of a genuine root. Whether or not you really are a Christian. And, you know, first thing you got to do is get saved. But after that, you got to learn to love. And so, is that you? Are you a loving person? You know, one of the things that we have to ask after that question is, well then, well, what is love? What exactly is love? Is it, you know, that, that feeling funny in my tummy? You know, is that what love is? Is it like this euphoric emotion of positive energy towards other people? You know, and we don't know that the truth is, in all honesty, if I asked a hundred different people what love is, I might get a hundred different answers. But we got to know what this is. So I'm so grateful that we have God's word that doesn't just define it, but it describes it. And when we read the particulars, the 16 features, the sweet 16 in verses 4 through 8a, then we can look at it and we can ask ourselves, does this describe me? Because otherwise it's nothing, I'm nothing, and it profits me nothing. And so, you know, we've been going through the list here in verse 4. This would definitely not be the first thing I would say, but it says here that love suffers long and is kind. And love... It says, does not envy. And you know, have to ask yourself, uh, some of us are not even willing to suffer at all, much less, you know, suffer long. But when you have real love, it, it suffers long. Love is kind to other people. Love does not envy, you know? I mean, sometimes we get, you know, these ugly feelings inside of ourselves when we see others, you know, we see that they're getting blessed or they're getting, you know, what I want, or they're getting the accolades, or they're getting the compliments, or they're getting the good results, and, and there's something ugly inside of us is jealous or envious. That's not love. 
And we get to check our hearts. It says right there, love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. There's no pride there. In verse 5, it says, love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. I mean, are you ever rude? Are you ever selfish? It says, love is not provoked. And that means easily angered. Anyone here get angry quick? That means they're not loving. You, there's some growing to do. You have to understand God's love for you, how he is so patient with you so that you could be patient with others. Love is not easily provoked. It says right there, love thinks no evil. And what that means in the Greek, because it's an accounting word, is it keeps no record of wrongs. You know, you're, you're going to forgive people and you're going to forget what they did against you that was wrong. You don't take those offenses and put them in the back pocket for ammunition later that you're going to pull out and fire. Because if that's you, if you're not a forgiving person, then you're not loving. And I don't care how good or eloquent the message, the miracles, or the ministry, or the martyr is. It is nothing. We are nothing. It profits me nothing without love. And that's what he's saying here. And so for us, going through the list and asking myself, Lord, you know, is this me? It's, it's helpful, you know. It was so cool. One of the youth, Tally, uh, she uh, emailed me or she messaged me on Instagram. Her mom did uh, a video of her memorizing the entire passage right here. I was so proud of her, so blessed. And I'm challenging you guys. Okay, don't tell me you're too old. You can eat salmon. You can start exercising. You can work a little hard to memorize this. Because I don't know if there's really, I mean, this is such a powerful passage. This is what God wants. Number one commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about love. James chapter 2 verse 8, the royal law is to love one another. Right? First Peter it says, you know, above all things, have fervent love for, for one another. And so that's why we've been kind of diving in deep and looking at the particulars, because I want you to understand each and every point here. That way the enemy doesn't come in and take away what was sown in your heart. We have to understand what these things mean. And so now, today, we pick it up in verses 6 through 8a. And in these uh, verses, there's kind of three things that I noticed here in looking at love. Because in one sense... Uh, we, we know, of course, God is love. Not that love is God, but God is love. And that the attribute of love, it comes from him. But we're going to see three things that God is holy when it comes to love. God is omnipotent. And God is eternal. And we're going to see that love, it has that idea. Look at verse 6. It says, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Other translations use the word evil or, or injustice. That, that doesn't belong in the vernacular of love. This word here, it speaks of the unrighteousness of the heart and life that spills over into the deeds that we do that violate the laws of the Lord. And here's what we find, you guys. And I know most of the world wouldn't define love this way, but what we find is that true love is holy. True love is godly. Uh, true love never rejoices over unrighteousness, 
but it rejoices in, in the truth. And, you know, we need to know that. The Corinthians needed to know that because back in chapter 5, we find that the church there in Corinth was boasting about the bad that was taking place in the bed, in, in the body there in Corinth. There was sexual sin. Remember, we read about it in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, where Paul said it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. He said there's sex there in, in the saints, in those seats, and it's worse than what's in the world. That's what he's saying. That a, that, a, that a man has his father's wife. There was a guy in the church that was sleeping with his stepmom, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. See, what they were doing there in Corinth is what some churches are doing today, and they define it as love, that they were celebrating the, their tolerance of sin, their acceptance of sin. You know, isn't it cool? Doesn't it demonstrate love? How we have a guy in our congregation sleeping with his stepmom? No, that's not love. You need to deal with it so that they can get saved and sanctified. That's love. You know, we see something similar in the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 32 when we see that whole list there of a society drifting away from God. They go so far uh, from God that they not only tolerate the sin, but they start celebrating it. Think about it. They start applauding the sin. You know, it would be like attending a gay pride parade and all the people watching on the sides, they lift up their voice and rejoice and they celebrate the, the sin. You know, something that used to be done in the dark is now strutting down Main Street. That's not love. You know, again, I'm not saying that we should hold up rude signs or be mean to anyone. No, we don't have that right. But according to the scriptures, what we find is love does not rejoice over iniquity. You know, is it love when they rejoice that a law is passed that legalizes the murder of innocent children and there they are when that law passes dancing in the streets? You know, is it love when people gather around and celebrate over the body of someone that was bullied and beaten down? Yeah, get them. No, that's not love. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Well, what we find in understanding the holiness of love is what Lenski said, anything that is wrong in God's sight grieves a heart that is filled with his love. And primarily because it grieves God, but also because it destroys them. And so what we find is that love, it does not rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. You know, love says, hey, I'll be tactful, but I'll be truthful. Listen, I don't hate you. I just hate the sin. I'm not going to pat him on the back and, you know, hey, go ahead and do whatever you want. I'm going to do whatever I can to bring them back to God. Because God has a plan for their life. You know, love, it doesn't rejoice over iniquity. It grieves over it. And it loves the truth that sets them free. You know, this truth, of course, it begins with the gospel. We have to understand that, you know, Matthew 5, remember when Jesus was sharing the Sermon on the Mount and the first two Beatitudes, this is where it starts, right? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who, who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, the poor in spirit are those who understand that I'm not good enough to stand before God in my own righteousness. That me alone, just me standing before God, you know, you might be a good person. You might give a few money, you know, dollars here to the so it's a charity down the street or maybe cross someone, you know, across the street or whatever the case may be. But we're just not good enough. We're, we're poor in spirit. Spiritually speaking, we're, we're poverty stricken. The, our, Isaiah talks about how our, our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. Isaiah 64, verse 6. So blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of God. When you come to that place in your life where you realize, even though you might be a good, moral, upright you know, citizen, you know, when it comes to who we are in God's presence, we're never going to make it into heaven. We need Jesus. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. They come to that place of humbling themselves and saying, Jesus, come into my life. I need you. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn over what? Mourn over their sins. For they shall be comforted. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what we see love does. You know, love doesn't rejoice over sin. Hey, dude, you're not even a lightweight anymore. Man, you're able to you know, pound down 12 Budweiser's and you're wiser now than before, you know. Sometimes people celebrate that. I remember how it was when I was in the world. You know, the drug addict, the drunk, or the guy who come, he commits the crime. You know, you did it. You got away with it. Man, you pulled it off. Good job. And they celebrate it. They rejoice over it. I remember when I was a young, a little boy. I don't even know how old I was. But I went to a record store with my dad. You guys should know what record stores or records are. Yeah, it was called Tower Records, man. I remember uh, I went there with my dad, and uh, I just remember it. my dad liked music, and so he was just grabbing all these albums throughout the whole store. Next thing you know, he's probably got about 15 albums on his side, and, uh, and as he's walking out the door, he says, okay, Mio, what I want you to do is I want you to stand right there. And we didn't go to the checkout stand. We just walked out the door with the records. He stole them. He didn't pay for them. I remember after we were all done, we were like, yeah, that was so cool. We were celebrating. Because <laughs> some people, they do that. They, they actually rejoice over iniquity. Listen, the land that we live in, a gullible society, they buy a lot of those lies. They think those are reasons to rejoice. Do whatever you want, whatever works for you. I love you and accept any behavior or practice that you're good with. But the question is, is God good with it? You see, how awesome it is when the day comes, when the truth is turned on and they see the light, that sin, that sin, it separates us from God and how we need to come back and be reconciled to him. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, you know, you choose to believe in Jesus. You choose to follow Jesus. So simple. He lifts the burdens, washes away your sins, writes your name in the book of life, and now you know you're saved and set and on your way to heaven. See, the truth will make you free. John chapter 8, verse 32. That's why love does not rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. See, when I look at this in verse 6, I see how love is holy. Love is holy. I don't know if people would ever say that, but that's what the Bible says. That's what God says. 
And then secondly, in verse 7, I see love is omnipotent. Look what we read in verse 7. It says, uh, in firm reference to love, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It, it bears all things. This is why when you really love someone, you give them a bear hug. Not just a wimpy hug, huh? You give them a bear hug. I love bear hugs. I'm still trying to convince my daughter to, to reciprocate that, but we're working on it, you know? And, and so when you look at this, it's an interesting Greek word. It comes from another word that talks about our roof, the roof of one's house that covers, it protects, it holds up against all the storms of life that beat down upon our families, the sun, the falling down of the rain, the hail, I mean, that's what this word just bears up. It protects, it bears love, bears it all. That's why Song of Solomon, it says, many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. Love protects. It never finds itself giving up or letting up. It bears all things. You'll notice that when we look at these next four descriptions of love, it has those words, all things. Because a lot of times people, when they talk about love, God's love for them or their love for others, they're always thinking, yeah, but you don't know my situation. Listen, what God is trying to say here is, yes, I do. The last time I checked, um, the word all means all. That's all all means, right? And, and love, it, it bears all things. Yeah, well, I used to love her, but then she said that, and she did that. Can you believe that happened? You don't love him anymore. <laughs> well, I used to be a loving person, but then, of all things, Almighty God allowed this to happen to us. No. When there's love, God's love for you, and your love for God, and our love for others, this right here, God tells us it, it, he bears all things. God bears all things. Love bears all things. Don't get me wrong. I know life is beyond hard and incomprehensibly painful at times, but God's love bears with us, so we should bear with him and with others, even in the land of all things. Because we know Romans eight twenty eight. we always go back to that verse, that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Love it bears all things. And then, and then secondly, here in verse 7, it believes all things. You know, and that's an interesting uh, verse. You know, some will see it as God, you know, when you're a Christian, you love God and others that, you know, beginning with God, that you believe all his promises. And that's true, we do. But it's more than that because what we're talking about here is in the context of loving people, even in the church, but just these human relationships that we have. And it believes all things. Not that we're gullible. It's just that we see these people with God's eyes as lovable. And what happens is your positive approach, uplifting words of encouragement, are declarations and manifestations of God's love. So that when that kid who has no one else who believes in him, and you do, when you believe in them, that one that's down and out means someone who's lifting them up how it changes their life. Now, William Barclay said this, in relation to our fellow men, it means that love always believes the best about other people. It is often true that we make people what we believe them to be. 
If we show that we do not trust people, we make them untrustworthy. If we show people that we trust them, we make them trustworthy. Now, I know that that's a general principle, and I understand that it's not always like that. We know that some people will resist God's love for them for the rest of their lives. And some are so far gone, damaged, and demented that they have chosen to never change. We know that is the world that we live in. We know that we're not commanded to cast our pearls before the swine. Jesus said that. But we need to be able to say with clean hands, hearts, and lips that, Lord, I love this person. I loved my neighbor that you brought into my path. So that now, because sometimes we have to do this, I release them to you in obedience to you for their good. It's still because you love God and love them. And the Lord searches our hearts. Believing in people, however, generally speaking, is powerful. It is powerful. You know, I think especially of our children, you know, and I can't help but think of that song by Stephen Chris Chapman. It's I Believe in You. And let me share with you the lyrics. He wrote this song for his daughter when she was graduating from high school. And so this is what he says in the song. He says, aren't you the little one that hid in my arms afraid of the thunder? And aren't these the little hands that held so tight to mine? Didn't we both agree you'd never grow up? And now here we are and here you go. But of all the things I want to say, the thing you really need to know is I believe in you. I believe in you. Everything you are and everything you are becoming, I believe in you. I believe in you. So spread your wings and fly on the winds of knowing I believe in you. So many prayers we prayed and so many dreams to get to this moment. Now this is where we stay while you go change the world. But I'll be where I have always been, up in the stands, cheering you on and singing this song. A song the very God who made you has been singing all along. I believe in you. Yeah, I believe in you, so spread your wings and fly on the winds of knowing I always believe in you. When someone has someone like that in their corner, motivated by love, again, not compromising, but saying, Philippians 4.13, listen, I, we can do all things through Christ. Strengthens us. It changes everything. This is what God calls us to as Christians. How love bears all things, believes all things. It, it says love hopes all things. And it's interesting, when you start looking at what God really says about love, I don't know if we've ever connected holiness with love, or or maybe even hope. Have you ever connected hope with love? God, I I know you love me, and I love you. I mean, that's kind of how this whole thing starts. And so, I know I have you, and if I have you, I have hope. My future is bright. I need some really good sunglasses. I mean, it's just so cool, the hope that we have with the Lord. Not a hope that says, well, I'm crossing my fingers, I hope so. No, it's a certain certainty about the future. Your future is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's good. Because we have this love, because we have this hope. Adam Clark uh, 
one of the, my favorite commentators. If you go to my office, you would see these big books by him, and I just love him. He's one of the few commentators that you can look up any book in the Bible. You can open it up, and he'll give you the date. That's why I look at his works a lot. I love the way he wrote. I love his theology. I mean, I don't never met the guy. He lived a long time ago, man, but God has used him tremendously in my life. But I thank God that one day someone came into his life that gave him hope. Because what had happened was one day there was a visitor that went to the school and the teacher was there with all the kids. And unfortunately, the teacher wasn't one of those teachers that were nice. The teacher said, pointed out to Adam Clark and he said that this is the, the dumbest kid in the school. And that's an awful thing to say. But, but the visitor then went up to Adam Clark, and this is what he said. He said, never mind, my boy. You may be a great scholar someday. Don't be discouraged. Just do your best and keep on trying. You see, the teacher was hopeless while the visitor was hopeful. And it may well have been that those words of hope, Adam Clark said, was made me when I became. See, we need to have this love. This love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, the word endure in the Greek language here is an interesting word. It's not just one of those words like, oh, I'm going to squeak by. Yeah, I'll squeak by. No, it's one of those that says, I'm going to fly. The Greek word right here is a triumphant attitude. It's one of those Greek words, and it describes the spirit not just passively enduring things, but it's a spirit in which, in bearing them, conquers them. You know, I find myself a lot of times with pity parties, you know, and you're dealing with people and you, whatever, you know, you feel sorry for us. And that's not the omnipotent love that God not only shows us, but gives us. You know, what we find is that there's so, so much strength in this. You know, another one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of George Matheson. And I have a three-volume work in, in my library. And I always go to him whenever I want to do character studies because he sees things that no one else sees. He has this amazing spiritual insight that for those of you who are hungry and thirsting after the Lord, if you were to read any of his works, it would resonate within you. This guy was amazing, but this guy was blind. George Matheson. And it's interesting, as he went through life, he lost his sight, he was disappointed in love, but he, but he wrote one of his prayers, and it was so cool the way that he accepted God's will, and he embraced it, not just faced it, he embraced it. And he said, not with dumb resignation, but with holy joy, not only with the absence of murmur, but with the song of praise. You see, love can bear all things, not just with passive resignation, but with triumphant fortitude. Why? Because it knows that a father's hand will never cause his child a needless tear. And when we go through life and, and we're living this, in our relationship with God and our relationship with others, and we are victorious and we are conquerors, and all that is part of this whole love, that God shows us and, and we show others. You know, Fanny Crosby, I don't know if you have ever heard of her. She wrote hundreds of hymns, one of the best hymn writers of all time. 
And she, when she was just a little girl, there was a mistake by the doctor, and they put the, the wrong ointment in her eyes, and she became blind. And so she went her whole life, think about it, blind, wronged. But what happened was she fell in love with the Lord. And one day as she got older, someone came up to her, and they were assuming, like, kind of like, hey, can I pray for you that you can see again and they they were assuming that out of all the things in life that that's the one thing that she would want and I think that we all kind of have that well this is the one thing that I would want or whatever there might be a few things but for her it's definitely got to be that she would want to see and you know what she said she said that's not what I want I don't want God to heal me in my blindness because I want one day when I can finally see on the other side of glory the first thing I'll see is Jesus. See, that's the kind of love that is victorious. God, I love you. And I love people. Because love, it, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And that's the last thing we see right here. Looking at verse 6, 7, and 8. And it's just amazing to me how love is so holy, how love is so omnipotent, and how love is truly eternal. You don't fall in and out of love. You might fall into sin, but you don't fall in and out of love. You might fall away from God and you stop loving people, but you never fall out of love. Why? Because love, it, it never fails. And, and what we're going to see next time we study that section right there is it, it's forever. You know, prophecies will fail. They'll cease. Tongues will cease. Even faith will cease. Even hope is secondary because when we were in heaven, we're not going to need any of those things. Love will be forever and ever and ever. You know, what we're talking about here is not an erotic love, eros, not a phileo love, which is friendship or brotherly love, not a storge love, which is a family love. What we're talking about here is an agape love that is eternal. And this is why, you know, as we go through life, we have to check our hearts. It's so sad sometimes when we see husbands and wives, you know, using that as a cop-out, saying, well, we just don't love each other anymore. Because love's not a feeling. Love is a commandment. Where you're seeking someone else's highest good, expecting nothing in return. You do it not because they're lovely, but because you are a lover who has realized that you are loved by God. And so I pray we would know this. We go through life, and and of all the, the fruit, you know, that we would bear that fruit of love. Earlier today, I had some orange juice because I'm trying to build up my immune system. And then right here, between services, I had an orange because I figured I better do that, huh? I want to take care of myself. And, you know, a certain fruit, I guess you can say this is important. Um, for us, it, it's love. Even though we get hit hard. When you love other people, does that mean they'll love you back? No, God loves everyone. Do they all love him? No. But that won't stop us. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even slow us down. Why? Because we are Christians. We're going to get hit hard, you guys. 
But even in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Daniel was singing a song earlier, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. What the enemy intended for evil, God will use for good. Who knows? Maybe there's someone here even today that, you know, you find yourself in church or maybe you're even watching on the live stream. And maybe because of the, you know, virus and all that kind of stuff that it kind of brought you into this place where you're hearing the message And my prayer is that you would hear the message of God's love, God's holiness. Are you really ready to die? Are you really ready? Not that we're worried about this virus. I mean, I think your chances of dying other ways are probably higher. Car accident, different things like that. So here's the thing. Um, You know, we got to give our lives to Christ. You've got to believe in Jesus. Don't play games. Don't play church. Don't do it once in a while. Just give him your heart today. And as you do that, in all sincerity, he'll come in and he'll do such a great work in your life. He can take all the things, all the tragedies, and he can turn them into victories. Let me close with one last illustration. My wife was actually... Um, redeeming a gift card the other day and uh, I want to show you a picture of it because it's kind of a trip she's redeeming a gift card and you know how on the back of the gift cards they have the numbers on the back of the gift card okay can you see the number right there 666 so she you know I I think when she first saw that 666 she's like ah that's weird you know because that's the number of the beast and you know know, sometimes you see people they have these license plates 666 and you're like man I would never I would change my license plate can't believe they're driving around with a 666 right it's the number of the beast or whatever and of course I know there's more to it than that and some people it's no big deal but anyway 666 and she thought it was kind of weird but anyway she redeemed the card and she scratched off the rest of it and and notice what's there 777 isn't that cool It's kind of like the devil will do his thing. The world will do their, evil will do their thing. But, you know, they win their battles. But Jesus won the war. Huh, isn't that cool? And in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who 